We're supported by Panacea Financial, digital banking built for doctors by doctors. At Panacea Financial, you can have your own free personal banker and a support team that works around the clock just like you do. Open your free checking account today at panaceafinancial.com. Panacea Financial is a division of Sonabank, member FDIC. Do you like this podcast but feel like maybe you could do a better job? Would you like to make your own podcast? Let me tell you about Anchor. What is Anchor, you ask? I'm glad that you did. It is the free, all-in-one platform that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now, you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. This means you could do something novel and creative, like some sort of podcast about music, which I'm pretty sure has never been done before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The Curbsiders Podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like moral hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Welcome back to the Curbsiders. Well, hello, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Stuart. It's the end of the year. This is our recap extravaganza. Excellent. It's been been a crazy year. It's been a a challenging year, but I think overall we've we've held it together as a show. We now have like 28 people working with us, and uh, some some of the people have left and made their own shows, some of whom will be on the call with us tonight. So it's been... Things have been great. That's good to hear, Matt. <laughs> I did want to take uh, I did want to take this time to check in with the great Dr. Paul Nelson Williams, who is one of my very best friends. And uh, <laughs> Paul, maybe you'll remind people what do we normally do on this show, and what are we doing tonight? And if you had any inspiring words for all of us, I, I mean, I can't promise inspiration. I can tell you that we are the Internal Medicine Podcast. We use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge, usually. Um, this episode is a little bit different. This is where we sit back and reflect on all the expert interviews that that we've been through and kind of highlight our um, particular pearls that we've enjoyed or that we've incorporated into practice or that have been especially meaningful to us. So it's a chance to reflect back on the past year, which, as, as we've alluded to, has been a weird one. Um, I, If I can get personal for just a minute, and I, I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said before. I mean, this is these are sentiments that have been said sort of the entire year long, but it's just been a tough year. It's been a challenging year. It's been, in a lot of ways, a very lonely year. I think we've been isolated in ways that we have not been isolated before and atomized in ways that we've not been able before. And so one of the things that I'm grateful for, as I reflect back on the past year, is to have my community of of people that I work with for this show and a chance to, to talk to my colleagues in a way that actually keeps me engaged and interested and reminds me that there are people out there that care or are excited about this because it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to lose interest. I think it's been, um, it, it's hard to maintain intensity after a period of time. You just get tired. And then I, but to be with people who are like-minded and are sort of fighting the fight with you and are trying to do the same things that you are and hold the same values important and have this community has been really meaningful to me for the past year. So I want to take this opportunity to thank not just the people that I work with directly, but our audience and the people who have engaged with us on social media and have interacted and have given us such nice feedback and made this feel like 
a, a thing and, a, and an important thing. And so it's been really helpful to me during what has been a challenging time. So I just wanted to say that up front if I could. It's very poignant, Paul. Stuart, did you want to add anything? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, we have with us now host of his own show, The Cribsiders, which is a, a pediatric sibling show to us, uh, is the great Dr. Chris, the Chew Man Chew. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm excited to bring everyone this end of the year recap. It's the fourth time we've done this. You know, 2017 was the first time I produced the recap show and we just have a fantastic show. You know, it's an extravaganza, as we always say. <laughs> it includes everything. As we always try to convince you. <laughs> <laughs> it includes everything from, you know, the elephant in the room, COVID, to our physical exam skills, Triple Distilled, which is a new series we've been doing. Obviously, we're not going to do a recap show without some great Joel Topf kidney pearls. Um, but we get to hear from... Um, some call-in uh, pearls from our team members, um, and it's just been a wonderful year, and I was so happy to bring this to everyone. Yeah, Kristen, you're, you're talking about the how long you've been with the show now, going on three and a half years, and the show has now existed longer with this team of correspondents, many of whom have been with us for three and a half years now. Uh, and I can say it was it's been considerably fun the entire time, but uh, I don't know that it would have been able to be sustained. Uh, every, you all joined just at the time when uh, we were ready to quit without uh, extra help. And I think it's gotten <laughs> a lot more fun and interesting having all these people help us out and expand, uh, help us go onto social media, meet a lot of new friends from all over the world, all over the country. And uh, I'm just super grateful to somehow uh be be in the in the center of all this with paul and Stuart and and the rest of the team it's it's been crazy yeah it's been really fun and i, have I to mean say, I, I mirror it's those uh, my life. hey paul you know what i look forward to saying in two weeks <laughs> oh tell me <laughs> hindsight is 2020 Oh God, I hate it so much. I hate it so much. <laughs> I think Chris was just about to go into like, you know, some heartfelt moment and Stuart's just like, yep, I'm just going to power right through it with my bad pun. <laughs> this is the moment. I found my time. <laughs> I, missed, I missed my ch- shot for the rim shot. No. <laughs> Too late. All right. Oh, wow. I think we should get on to the, uh, let's get on to some picks. Well, it is finally it that is. time of year, and of course, to start off, we got to go. It's it's Christmas time. I said Christmas, Paul. I meant holidays. But holidays. please, just give me a break, okay? <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean anything. You're immediately canceled five seconds in the episode. <laughs> That's a problem. Festivus, Festivus, guys. Festivus, Paul. Happy it. Festivus. Uh, what's your pick? What's your gift? If you had to pick something from the Curbsiders gift guide that the great Beth Garbs Garbatelli put together. What would you pick? It's nice of you to Matt, ask Matt, and I and I I'm sorry to become predictable. I feel bad about it. I I agonized. It's a really nice gift guide. There's a lot of really thoughtful gifts, and then I saw cats on their cats the movie, <laughs> and I had to stop. I, I can't remember if I told you guys this or not. Like I rewatched it um, not too long ago, and I remembered it beat for beat. Like not like I saw it in the movie theaters. Yeah. Almost a year ago, and I remembered every single scene. I remembered everything that horrified me the first time through. <laughs> It has wedged itself into my psyche in a way that no movie other has. So I, I feel like it, I'm, I'm say unironically, I'm starting to think it's one of the most important pieces of art I've ever seen. So if you've not seen Cats, 
I'm going to high recommend <laughs> it somehow it managed to use alchemy and just turn pure awful into something that is just absolutely unforgettable. It still brings me joy because it's just the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so it's just, I, I'm, I have to recommend it. So if you've not seen Cats, buy it for a friend, watch it together. It is a movie that I think in different times would have developed a big enough cult following that people would be going in groups to watch it in the movie theaters together and yelling at the screen and stuff. Like, I think it's that, that level of awful great. So I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to recommend it until I die. <laughs> Second only to dogs. <laughs> Stuart, what is your, uh, what is your, uh, pick from the gift guide? So mine's not directly from the gift guide. I'll have to admit that. Uh, <laughs> this seems completely out of character for you. Are you okay? We should probably. Check <laughs> yeah, it's, fine. it's fine. No, so the Expanse book series actually is what it, is my recommended gift. Um, I, I think it exceeds the series. Didn't season five just come out, Chris? Yep, just right. a couple this days. Is ago. The, this is the this is the show. I believe in the past. I remember this show because I think you told everyone that you bought it on Amazon. You liked it enough, you bought it, and then the next yeah, day they free. streamed it for free. <laughs> I so know, you, jeez, man. Then you threw shade at them on Twitter, and then they gave they you a refund. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's exactly what happened. Okay, but I you're saying the back. books are worth are worth it. Yeah, uh, I, I will say uh, my recommended gift is definitely not the PS5 though. Do you have it? No. Uh, it's funny you ask. <laughs> Sony really dropped the ball on this one. This feels like you're trying to neg Sony into also gifting you a PS5. I don't think <laughs> it's going to work, actually. No, it's not going to. Okay. I, I mentioned this uh, for Stuart and Paul. They already heard this pick of the week, but I think it's going to get be on the cutting room floor from that episode. I I recommend... I recently purchased a a headlamp that Flashlight. it's a... It, it's a it has a strap that you can strap this LED headlamp to your head and mm. you can run in the dark, nice. which is something that I do most days uh, to keep from going crazy. And uh, I would highly recommend it. It's super bright. It just, it charges up really quickly, lasts really long. It's, it's great. Question is, can you, does it stay on your head when you use it with a jump rope? Yes. And it's, it's only like 12 bucks. It's a, it's a great purchase. If you need a gift for like, I don't know, some cousin you don't really like that much, get him a, get him a headlamp. It's, it's 12 a perfect bucks. stocking stuffer. That's great, great pick. <laughs> nice. You know, so my, my pick is the AeroPress. I mean, I, I'm part of the hashtag big grind on, on Twitter and uh, I, I just love my AeroPress. I, I use it all the time and it's on, it's on the gift guide. So it's definitely, definitely use worth, worth the pick. I, and it, I think it fits in most stockings. So hmm. I got. I got to check this thing out. Do, it, does it make a superior cup of coffee, or does it make it faster? What is? Wh why is it better than just whatever I'm doing? Oh, what? And what are you doing? I'm just making drip coffee. Well, I think oh, it's better than. That. I mean, I think it, it definitely tastes a little better than drip coffee, and is probably just as fast. Okay. All right. So picks of the year. These differ slightly. These don't have to be something from the gift guide, I guess. So, Paul, what's your pick of the year? Yeah, I, I I struggled with this, and I ended up picking the the video game Death Stranding, which I had recommended on a prior episode. It is a deeply weird game uh, by Hideo Kojima, and it's epic in scope. A lot of it is spent just sort of wandering around the countryside by yourself. But it, the whole game, the whole point of it, it's pointless to even try to describe the plot, but the whole game has these themes of trying to connect cities together, and basically the whole world depends on this delivery person whom you play. And everyone is completely separated from everyone else. And you only talk to each other through videos. And it's just about interpersonal connections in times of loneliness. It's about isolation. It's also about how technology unites us all. It's about how um, 
the impact of death on us and how even death doesn't really disconnect us from other people. It has a lot of these huge themes that seemed weirdly prescient now that we've lived through all that we've lived through. It's a game I thought about a lot when I was over, and it's 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 still, I think, has a lot of uh, thematic relevance to sort of what we went through this year. So it's a game that I found deeply affecting and, and weird and enjoyable um, and wasted a lot of time when I was bored inside. So I, I would highly recommend Death Stranding. Stuart, you have something to say? Good. I mean, yeah. Sure. I haven't played the game, so I, I couldn't say whether it's good or yeah, bad. I am so or... excited to hear your opinion about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're very yeah, welcome. I, I think, but it's Kojima. I think Rick so. and Morty did an advertisement for it, and uh, they were strapping like dead babies to their, to their chest and doing stuff. So, so that sounds Morty, super you know? dark. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually walked, watched Rick and Morty for the first time this year. Maybe that'll be my pick of the year is Rick and Morty. Oh my gosh. The pickle Rick episode is pretty classic. Oh, okay. Uh, pick of the year. Uh, my, my pick of the year, uh, it, it's a little bit more serious. Uh, I would say maybe, maybe Paul's p- definitely more serious than Rick and, uh, Rick and Morty. My pick of the year is the, the Tim Ferriss podcast, which I, I think I've recommended on the show many times. 23 I, times at least. I like this. I like this show because <laughs> consistently they just have very interesting guests. Uh, they give great book recommendations and talk about interesting things. And more recently, I would say in the past one to two years, there's been just like a lot of talk about uh, mental health uh, by most of the guests who are these high level people. Uh, certainly something that has been very much on my mind this year, both personally, professionally, uh, you know, just all around. And I think it's great to hear so many like just candid conversations about uh, people struggling with their mental health and uh, how they're taking care of themselves. So I would I would highly recommend that show for many reasons. Um, check it out. See my pick of the year. So you know, with with uh, with the pandemic, everyone started doing a lot of like bread baking. Yeah, I don't and get that, Chris. I, Tell us about it. <laughs> I am bread well, baking. I'm horrible at it. I so uh, my pick is so Adam Ragusi is a YouTuber. Um, he does a lot of sort of. He, sometimes he does like some history and some science of foods and stuff like that. But he has this. We, he calls it the the lazy baguette, and literally, it's like. He puts a little bit of water, a little bit of flour, a little bit of yeast and salt. And then he says, shove it in the fridge, take it out four days later, wet, pull it out, throw it on a pan, mist the oven, and then bake it. And it's like one of the best little flat baguettes I've ever had. And it takes no time whatsoever. And it's ugly. It's really ugly bread. But so that's his lazy baguette. I love that description. It's ugly bread. My my facial expressions are not for your, your lovely baguette. It's my knee. It's killing me. Oh, sorry, bud. <laughs> we're not used to. I have to re- keep reminding myself that we're putting this out as a video as well yeah, as audio. Perfect. <laughs> now, every Ow. Stuart, everyone's just gonna get to everyone. Just soak it in, Stuart Brigham. Uh, earlier, he was doing me. like army rolls and army crawls across his bed. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> my, you don't understand. My knee is killing me. All right, so Chris, why don't you bring us into the meat of the episode here? All right, so we had a lot of great picks, and they came, we sort of brought them in from the, all the team members here uh, on the Curbsiders, and, and they've grown significantly the amount of team members we have, and we have some really great picks. Um, so, But, you know, the elephant in the room is, like, you can't do pearls of 2020 and top things of 2020 without at least talking a little bit about COVID, do we right? Have to? I, I think it's finally time <laughs> I mean, Matt someone was... talked about COVID. I'm glad that we're, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I, I the... COVID has changed the way that we work in some ways, maybe for the better. And I, I think that's what this clip's going to be about, the great 
Dr. Shreya Trivedi of the Core I Am podcast, who's been on our podcast many times, who does the Women in Medicine podcasts. And uh, I thought I thought that was a great episode, just talking about how specifically uh, there was a a different burden for uh, for women uh, during this COVID pandemic. All right, you guys want to listen? Yeah. This is Dr. Shreya Trivedi, and my favorite pearl this year was from the COVID Women in Medicine episode. No surprise there. Uh, but it was when Dr. Kelly Graham spoke about the invisible cognitive load that women mentally kind of juggle around all the time, like microtests, for example. Just a few minutes ago, you know, it was me remembering that we hadn't sent pictures to our relatives of our two-month-old and we need to make sure that they don't feel left out. Uh, small things like that and, and that how that adds up over time. And she recommended writing down that mental load and, and kind of naming that workload that you carry around. Um, and then she said something effective like, run your marriage like you do a business. And that was a, you know a bit surprising to hear at first, but actually after I thought of it was a bit practice changing for me. I actually started an Asana account with my husband and Asana is like a project management app like Trello, um, but we write out things and assign it to either one of us and it sends him email reminders so I don't have to. Uh, and yes, I'm still the one kind of carrying around the load of, okay, what needs to be written down and, and done, but at least it's something and um, was kind of game changing for me in my day-to-day -day life. And um, I know we're all trying to make our work-life integration between medicine and all the other things we're juggling a little easier. So uh, I really appreciated that. Uh, and with that, happy holidays and sending you all so much warm energy. Take care. I, I really love that point. And I think it is important for everybody to uh, have that conversation with your partner or ask them to listen to the, <laughs> ask them to listen to the episode. And uh, if you're, if you're like me, uh, try to pick up some of the slack from a partner who's doing most of the work in the household, uh, which, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, <laughs> I, I would recommend not writing memos to your significant other, like you would do at work though. Probably. <laughs> I, <laughs> Did you get that memo? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Shreya, for that. Let's let's bring it to uh, number one ninety one, produced oh. by the great Dr. Christopher Chu and and many others. Uh, was it Jasneet Devgun? Chris was the was no. she a resident physician who helped with this one. Well, one of our former residents. She's now she's now a cardiology fellow oh, cool. over at uh, Henry Ford. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. But. The Lipid Updates with Dr. Aaron Mikos was really one of my favorite episodes I've ever produced for the Curbsiders. And we just had lots of, of great pearls from there. Um, Matt, I think you and Stuart both had some very similar pearls coming out of that, right? Yes, because this was a, we, we had done a bunch of Lipid episodes and I was always a little bit interested in the LP little A, the ApoB, but I just didn't know how to use them. And she told she told us that for everybody, she gets at least a one-time LP little A to to see the value because um, it kind of predicts risk, and uh, you don't you just need to check it once. You don't need to trend it over time. The ApoB she uses when someone's near their LDL goal, but she's still worried about their risk, and she just wants to get a an idea of their risk. She'll she'll check an ApoB at that time to see if she needs to step up how aggressive she's going to be about things. And that's about to the extent that I understand it, but I did yeah. find it was potentially practice changing because sending an LP little A on on patients wasn't something that I've been doing before. 
Yeah. And so my point was that an ApoB 100 isn't really helpful, but until they're on maximally tolerated statin, because it should kind of mirror the LDL. Um, but for those patients have a very strong family history of ASCVD. Uh, those are the, the patients that I typically would target with LP little a, I don't really know how expensive that test. Is. I think it was like 50 to hundred dollars for an LP little a. Um, but in my own practice, I've been able to diagnose at least three hyper apolipoproteinemias with that lab test. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> I was going to ask, <laughs> like, I can barely, I can barely spell that yeah. word. You guys going to have to show us that one. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> I just, okay. I, I, I put that pearl there just so I could say that word. Yeah. The, the other thing to point out to the audience, and this was on actually the cardio nerds is a great new cardiology podcast that's out there. It's been recommended on the show. Those guys are super nice people. Uh, they talked, they did a whole episode on the CAC scoring. And one of the things about CAC scoring is it, it's actually not that expensive um, if someone has to pay out of pocket. I, I mean, it's hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars. And it all, of course, it depends on the patient you're talking about. Hundreds of dollars might be a tremendous amount to some people. But uh, depending on where you're practicing, even if they have to pay out of pocket, that may be a test. We're talking about the LP little a APOB to try to get a better sense of individualized risk that yeah, the CAC I, score I might be the, something you use. I actually have the cost here from our cardiology hospital called CACLAC. Um, <laughs> it's $150 for a CAC score. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, at the cash like State University, it only costs $99 out of pocket. Oh, geez. And, it has been and that's for, for the imaging yeah. plus the reading or just the imaging? That's correct. Okay. That's great. It's five out of three, 99 bucks. Yeah. Okay. All right. So next up, one of our biggest episodes of the year, if not the biggest episode of the year, actually, uh, we'll get to the biggest episode of the year later, uh, but <laughs> hypothyroidism definitely was like top, top three. And uh, great guest, Dr. Susan Mandel. And I, I, what I really took home my that still sticks in my mind because it's so useful counseling patients. If you have the patient who has hypothyroidism, they're feeling unwell, fatigued, what have you. You got to you got to counsel them that even after we normalize your TSH, it might take two or three months until you totally feel back to normal. Right. And Dr. Mandel said at that point. She uses, uh, she may add T3 a couple times a day if they're still not feeling well and it's been two or three months with a normalized TSH. So yeah. I haven't done that. I don't know about you guys. Nope. So, so no, I haven't. But uh, I was going to say that my pearl is like the opposite, right? Because the type 1, type 2 diiodinase en enzyme levels actually change in severe hypothyroidism. And so there's less negative feedback. Um, and you actually preferentially make more of the active metabolite. So for those patients that are severely hypothyroid who are being put on levothyroxine, those patients, um, uh, it's actually helpful to consider beta blockers in these patients to ameliorate their symptoms instead of having them just stop the levothyroxine. That's, that's it. I don't, I, don't, <laughs> and, I don't know how to follow that one up. Uh, so biotin, biotin, Paul, Paul, what are you, what are you telling patients about biotin? Did, Cause did you know about this ahead of time? No, I think this came up twice, and because I had the attention span of a goldfish, it blew my mind both times. So I think this was yeah. also mentioned in our hyperthyroidism episode as well. But the, this idea of holding mm -hmm. biotin supplementation before doing your thyroid function tests, because if you're taking a higher dose, uh, which most of the, the supplements for your shiny hair and nails are fairly high doses, it can actually result in thyroid function tests that have a pattern similar to Graves' disease. So you have this suppressed TSH and a high T3 or T4. So the counseling is before you even check a TSH, just check in with your patient, see if they're taking those supplements. 
And if they are, just ask them to hold them at least 48 hours before actually getting your TSH or your thyroid function test checked. So I thought that was super high yield because it's something that I, I don't think I'd ever considered before hearing that. Yeah. Because the dietary requirements, I don't remember exact numbers. Let's say it's like 30, whatever the units are for biotin. And there's like 10 grams in, in, in like, it's <laughs> right. something crazy like yeah. that. <laughs> just your urine is like radioactive and it's just your B vitamins. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're supposed to be getting 30. You're getting 10, you know, you're getting 10,000. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's crazy. Um, Okay, so that's that was hypothyroidism. A really great episode. Uh, goes way deep on that. I, I really think the hyperthyroid episode also was great. Uh, a, a favorite part of that for me, Paul, was just talking about the thyroid exam and the thyroid eye findings. We spent like 15 minutes on that, and that was just fantastic. Dr. Eve Bluegarden uh, did a great job there on that one. And I think both of them, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but I think both of them actually advocated for approaching the patient from the front, which in addition to sort of being trauma-informed is also completely different than you've learned in medical yeah, school. Yeah, so, with, with the thumbs, which I've been right. doing, and uh, it's been great. And much easier than <laughs> trying to not choke a patient out from behind, and it just, it's so, yeah, so it's, that's, I've changed, that's been practice changing for me as well. All right. Uh, our, Chris, what's next? Oh, we got um, number two, 219, post-op care and complications with Dr. Avi O'Glasser, who is our um, chief of perioperative medicine, right? That is absolutely correct. She is the chief of perioperative medicine. The One of the great pearls from this was we just, we just talked about how atelectasis is not a cause of fever and then referenced a tutorial that goes through this in great detail, uh, in hilarious detail, I would say. Uh, because that still is proposed to me on rounds when the post-op patient has fever and I ask, what, what do we think caused this? That's always like one of the first things people say. Um, but it turns out at, atelectasis, uh, not a cause of fever. And uh, Well, they have, that, they have that whole, like, I get assumed it's like winds, water, right. walking. I don't, does anyone know some of the other ones? I don't remember. Wind, wounds, Wonder water, drinks. walking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think that uh, the other the other really good pearl there was just don't underestimate what urinary retention can do to somebody, blood pressure, delirium. Uh, you know, that is something you should not miss. At AKI, I feel like that's been a recurrent theme through many of our episodes in terms of fixing things. If you just stick a Foley in there, you might actually make a lot of stuff better. <laughs> Brilliant transition, Paul, because... <laughs> right. Agreed. Uh not surprisingly, as always, we have a we have Joel Toff episodes in our in our recap because they are the most favorite ones of the year. Surprising, yeah. Uh, as a tease for the audience, his what I'm told is his 16th appearance will be our first brand new like interview show for 2021, uh, and we'll be talking about nephrotic syndrome, but. On this this year, we had him on multiple shows: kidney transplants, uh, AKI. Chris, what were we going to talk about first here? Oh well, we have the uh, kidney boy on acute kidney injury. I think that's that's sort of like the 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 big one that he did with us. But he also did, you know, he did a whole bunch of enough madness episodes. I think the one with the hyperkalemia diet K binders was one of my favorite ones. But then the dialysis for the internist was like a really big one that Hannah had produced so, for us. Uh, just want to give a. A disclaimer. If you hear a kid screaming in the background, that's that's my daughter who's autistic. Just if you hear that. I don't think we can hear it. So okay. uh, I, I think it. the audience, everyone's used to the 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 uh you know, family members interrupting Zoom, Paul's cats walking in the background, you know, it's it's all good. But thank you, Stuart. So You're welcome. from the AKI episode, I think one of the biggest you know, take-homes just to keep in mind is that most of the time 
And he he gave us a range like 70 to 90% of the time, what's going to be wrong with the patient can be fixed by a bag of LR or a Foley. <laughs> so Paul, I don't know what you what you were thinking about before that, but I think just having those stats in mind is super helpful. Yeah, no, exactly right. Like I, I think in general, and still the, the kidneys terrify me though, Dr. Toff has gone a long way to make them less terrifying. But the fact that you really, your approach is sort of those two things. And then if it's ATN, which doesn't really fit in there, then the, the important thing is just to not hurt the patient is the other point that he made. So sort of once you have some general sense of what's going on, um, either hydrate them, fix the obstruction or do nothing and try not to hurt the patient or really the three main approaches. And if you can manage that, the kidneys will probably be okay. So I, I found this episode, unlike some of his, very reassuring. Right. And we we asked him when we should su- uh, suspect things like AIN. And he said that, you know, if the patient, if you've done all these things, their their, their volume status is okay. There's no obvious cause for the AKI. Uh, you can start to think about a- AIN and, and run the med list and things like that. But uh, urine eosinophils, not helpful. So uh, unless you're taking a board exam, just just don't do them. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and speaking of other causes of AKI, you know, Justin Burke, my, my, uh, my co my co-host over on the Cribsiders. Welcome back to the Cribsiders. Hey. Wanted to leave a little pearl from that episode as well. If you guys want to hear it. Yeah. One of my favorite pearls came from the kidney boy, Joel Toff talking about acute kidney injury. I love learning more and more about how acute kidney injury from contrast does not exist. Contrast-induced nephropathy, he talked about there's no signal in the literature that contrast causes AKI. Still unconvinced, but uh, who knows? I think if nephrology keeps doing more and more studies, eventually they'll just uh, they'll study their way out of most of their major pathology. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, uh, Paul, do you think it does not exist at all? I listen, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of agnostic about it now at this point. Like I, you don't want to take the risk of not believing it entirely. So instead you kind of hedge your bet. So if someone's yeah. tenuous, I still, I still get nervous about it. Um, so, but I, I think the bigger point that Joel made is if it's, if you need the study, like don't let that be the consideration that dissuades you from doing it. If someone yeah. needs contrast, then give the patient contrast. And I, that I think is a tenet that is worth following. Yeah. And then back to the whole, uh, either LR or Foley, please people like, don't wait for the ultrasound to find out that the person has an obstruction or that they're retaining urine. Just like bladder scan them or try the Foley and just save it for like day two or three if they're not getting better before you get the ultrasound. Right. Uh, as as an attending, like you're in the morning rounds and you're like, where's my patient? Like you're trying to see the patient and they're down getting a renal ultrasound. The creatinine's already normalized because they got a bag of LR and you're just <laughs> like, what the hell? They've been throwing it for the past four days, but you're still doing the retroperitoneal ultrasound. Exactly. Just to make sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it, everybody. But let, yeah, you can you can hold off on that test. Uh, do, it, do it at the bedside. You can fix them at the bedside often. Chris, what's next? So, you know, one of the live episodes you guys did, because you've, guys really started off strong with doing a bunch of live episodes and yeah. everything else ah, happened, so but you guys sad. did a great and episode on refugee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But the refugee health episode you guys with, did with uh, Tanuja Devaraj, you guys did a great live episode and uh, Emmy Okamoto really thought this was one of her favorite episodes and she's got a, got a couple words to say about that. Hi, this is Emmy Okamoto, and I'm thinking about how sometimes it's so difficult to approach sensitive topics and and not feel awkward. So I really appreciated in episode 196, the live refugee health with Tanusha Devaraj, 
where she gives the two-question screen for trauma for refugees. Number one, have you ever experienced trauma or violence in your former country? And number two, if so, would you like to talk about it? So quick to the point and something that, that we can be using. Paul, you produced this one. Any Anything else favorite for you from that episode? I mean, I, I think I, I was really proud of this episode. I, I really enjoyed this one. But I think the overall approach is sort of one of being sort of culturally competent and understanding certain symptomatology doesn't represent the things that we may sort of historically think that it manages, which I know is sort of a vague statement. But for instance, chronic pain, at least in the population that we talked about sort of as the example in that episode, is is not uncommon and does not necessarily have any kind of organic cause that we're going to chase down with the million-dollar imaging and the, the bazillion-dollar workup and sort of exploring um, the trauma associated possibly with with um, the refugee experience is probably more helpful and more meaningful than sort of trying to chase down an organic cause a lot of the time, um, though obviously that, that's a case-by-case basis. But I thought her overall approach and sort of being mindful of the culture behind the patient you're taking care of in terms of the approach, because that will impact adherence and understanding and, and sort of your ongoing relationship. So I, I, I just appreciated her whole um, gestalt to this type of care. And along the lines of understanding the culture, the one of the one of the pearls was just talking about how uh, certain cultures have different understandings of what a chronic disease is, or they might not have understanding of a chronic disease, and they're more used to the model. I feel sick, or I feel something. That's when I take a medicine. And so you really need to make sure there's understanding that if you're trying to treat somebody with hypertension or diabetes medications, that you need to stress that they need to be taken every day in order to to really do what they're supposed to do. And uh, that was that was something that I think probably is overlooked. Like you prescribe it, you feel good about yourself. <laughs> you're like, I've I've given them the right med, but <laughs> if they don't have the understanding, uh, it's it's not going to work. I thought it was interesting the connection that with Nepal only because of our own history with the the podcast. <laughs> for those who don't know, explain early on. Yeah, so early on in the in the podcast, we were looking at our downloads, and there was one day we had like four thousand downloads from Nepal, and w- when we were only getting like I don't know fifty or sixty downloads a day. <laughs> yes. And so uh, yeah, thanks. So we're Nepal. always grateful to Nepal. That's right. That's the jump start. Yeah. So do you want to talk about triple distilled? This is my oh, yeah. my favorite series, yeah, so, mostly so, because so it's a little self-aggrandizing, uh, really fun to record. Um, and I think we have a, a pick from Isabel about the diabetes one. Did you want to play that one? Oh, we do. I will. Hi, everyone. I'm Isabel Valdez, the physician assistant correspondent. And my favorite pearl was from the Diabetes Triple Distilled episode number 243 where we learned that SGL2 inhibitors increase the risk of genital fungal infections, but they don't increase the risk of urinary tract infections. Keep that one in your back pockets. I'm going to keep that one in my front pocket. (laughs) Remember also about SGLT2 inhibitors that the the black box warning for this concern over uh, amputations, toe amputations was removed. So I think you still have to be vigilant there as you do with all your patients with diabetes, but that was, that was great. And, uh, some of the, we also talked about, I don't know, Paul, have you seen someone with Fournier's gangrene being on an SGLT2 or, uh, what's the other big scary one everyone's worried about? U- uglycemic DKA. I, I feel like that one. three biggies. Yeah. 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 And I've seen none of that. I've seen yeah. I've seen the uglycemic DKA. I've I have seen too. That. Yeah, I have too. Yeah. So I, I think 
the, you glycemic DKA, Stuart, you want to explain to people how how that how people who's at risk for getting that with the SGLT two? Yeah, so the patients that are most at risk for SGLT two inhibitors are those patients that have uh, glucotoxicity before you start them on an SGLT two inhibitor, because that suggests that they're kind of on the teetering point um, where they're they're relying on on their glucose to, for at least part of their substrate. And if you completely get rid of that glucose, then they're gonna rely on um, ketogenesis. Yeah. And that's a very uh, bad place to start your patient on it. So typically I, I don't start patients on SGLT2 inhibitor until I know they've either been stable for a long period of time uh, or I can get their A1C. There's really no, no uh, guidance for this, but the way that I approach it is an A1C of uh, at least 10 or less, but ideally nine or less before I put them on an SGLT2 inhibitor, because you also get massive diuresis, the higher the glucose is over the uh, threshold, the uh, glomerular filtration threshold of about 180 milligrams per deciliter. So, and that also kind of is a segue to the blood pressure lowering. So for all patients, and this is interesting, actually, it lowers their blood pressure almost as much as thiazide-like diuretics, but that can be even more pronounced with your uh, diabetics that are less well-controlled. So Stewart's evidently been keeping track of the number of compliments I've paid him. And I, it, it was five at last count. <laughs> I actually want to say, this will be the, this will be number six. Um, in that I, that actually your pearl from this episode has been practice changing for me. And I'm actually a lot more mindful of sort of background A1C and sort of how they're, how hyperglycemic a patient is before I pull the trigger on the SGLT2. So actually your, your teaching point with that has helped me a lot in my own, uh, with my own patients. So compliment number yeah. six for the year. We'll finish out strong. And, and, <laughs> and, and I will say that this is, quote, expert opinion. This is not, um, there's no guideline for this. This is just based off of uh, using the, this medication. I was one of the, the earlier adopters in our clinical setting um, and noticing some of this earlier on. We, we had some pearls from the physical exam episode. We, we had a pilot of this physical exam series that the great Dr. Justin Burke is going to be bringing to us with the Society for Bedside Medicine. And the first one we did was an approach to shortness of breath. Uh, for me, uh, from, from that episode, I thought what um, Dr. Garibaldi said about doing a hypothesis-driven physical exam, I, I hadn't heard that phrase before, and it immediately like clicked with what he meant it was. He said, like, when I go to, before I even go to put my stethoscope on the patient, I've already done all this inspection and palpation. And I really know exactly, you know, I know what I'm looking for and I'm trying to answer a question. He's not just going through the physical exam, going through the motions. He's, he's doing it. He knows, has some idea of the likelihood ratio of what he's doing and like which test would be helpful or not to push him in one direction to reach a post-test probability that might change his thoughts. I see you nodding, Paul. Yeah, I can't remember if I said this on the episode or not, because um, Brian said it so much more eloquently than I have said it before, but the best advice I ever got about the physical exam is to cheat. So, meaning, <laughs> no, meaning if you if you see someone who's very old, who's syncopized, expect to hear the murmur of aortic stenosis. If you know someone has a history of decompensated heart failure, expect to feel the displaced PMI or expect to hear the S3. You have to be going in, you, you can't just let the findings wash over you. You should actually be listening specifically for the findings that actually strengthen or repute your diagnoses. And I think when you approach things like that, you're much more likely to actually hear the subtle findings that will not just declare themselves to you if you're going in undifferentiated. So I thought, I, I thought he explained that point uh, much better than I ever have, even though I've, I think I've been trying to say that to students for years. So yeah, I like that point a lot. 
I think we should go you, on to... You've been oh. trying to tell students to cheat? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Our sponsor today is Panacea Financial, the financial remedy for doctors created by doctors. With nationwide digital banking, Panacea Financial provides physicians and medical students with free checking, a personal banker, around-the-clock customer support, and loans designed with you in mind. No one should borrow money more than they need, but with Panacea Financial, physicians and physicians in training can get money as needed in as little as 24 hours with their PRN personal loan. It has an interest rate that is less than half the average credit card, no cosigner requirement, and a fully digital application. Instead of running up credit card debt, try their PRN personal loan that is designed to give you a better way to cover expenses such as relocation, board exams, or even home renovations. In addition, physicians in training can have a period of no or reduced payments on their PRN personal loan. Go to panaceafinancial.com today to learn more. Panacea Financial is a division of Sonabank and member FDIC. Okay, <laughs> let's go on. Uh, let's go to number 230, Kittleson Rules Acute Heart uh, Failure, or Kittleson mm. Rules Heart Failure, produced by uh, newcomer, hotshot, Deborah, soon to be Dr. Deborah Gorth, uh, eighth year medical student, as she proclaims herself. <laughs> she uh, She's really done great stuff for us this year. And uh, this was also, I, I would say, one of the top episodes of the year of like fan favorites, it seemed to be certainly by download numbers and just by the chatter about it on Twitter. So the Twitter engagement was bananas. Like it just, yeah. it, there are so many great conversations and Dr. Kittleson continued to teach on Twitter about the points that she made. This, that was a lot of fun to see how this expanded. Right. So I don't know if we have audio of this, Chris, but Deb, Deb left us some pics. Uh, was any of this practice changing for you, Chris, or were you already doing some of these things? I know you're I know you are, you read you read and listen to more medicine than anybody else I know, so I wouldn't be surprised if you knew this stuff. Well, there definitely were, were a couple of things. Um, I, so one one of the um, the studies that she she uh, referenced was the dose study, um, which is what she used when she was talking about the diuretic drips versus um, intermittent, intermittent um, dosing, and that's definitely one I've been talking to my my residents and students for for years about, and I think it's one people need to take a look at, um, but. You know, using using that study, she was sort of talking about like using two point five times the the home dose, and I I know there's some discussion about that. You know, I I think there is a lot of you know people practice a little differently in terms of starting off their their initial diuretic dose, but I think no one no one denies that you need to increase their their somehow you got to increase the concentration of the diuretic when when you admit a patient with heart failure. Um, um, so what you're uh, what's going on, Stuart? You're yeah, a little so upset. It, it kills me when someone orders Lasix twice daily. It just kills me because uh, your patient can't sleep. <laughs> they end up getting sure. their their Lasix like at I don't know nine a.m. and nine p.m. and then oh yeah, you're you're shocked when the patient can't sleep at night. Um, one of the things that I always uh, talk to my residents about time it like 8 a.m. and 2 p.m. That yeah. way it's out of their system before they go to bed and they can actually sleep. And the same thing with even IV doses. I mean, I see that one of the the pearls was, you know, essentially let your patient sleep with the diuretic. And I couldn't agree more. But um, that's something that we really don't think about a lot on the wards. And it needs to be considered. Yeah. If someone's on, if someone's on a drip, uh, a uh, furosemide drip, a bumetanide drip, 
maybe maybe a foley that might be one time it's humane to have a foley uh or just turn it off at night i think is what dr right. kittleson said so they don't have to be getting up every hour uh especially if they're not having a foley i i do dr toff way back our first ever episode with him one of his pearls about diuretics was if you give the dose of diuretic and it doesn't work. You're giving it IV. If you look at the package label for all the IV medications, it's like less than 30 minutes. I think it's even less than 15 minutes that they should start to act. So if you don't start to see urine in that Foley bag uh, within an hour, then that dose wasn't enough. uh, And you you can double the dose and give it again right there. You don't have to say, well, I gave 20. So now I'm going to give another 20 and that'll be 40. No, you just give 40 right then. Right. Or send your night float on the sad quest of it, like three o'clock in the morning, calculating eyes and nose and giving the same Remember dose that, of LASIKs at like two in the morning, a hundred percent, like try to keep them two liters negative. I'm like, well, three in the morning, time Think for your LASIKs, back of I all guess. Those, those futile <laughs> night float things we were doing uh, before yep. we knew, understood diuretics so well. Yeah, all right. And, and I, I, want, I want to give a, a big plug for Dr. Kilson here. So, you know, if people are not following her on Twitter and she is one of these people who you know, she's not like, she's not always on Twitter and, and, uh, you know, giving something every single day, but when she has one of her Kittleson rules and she puts it up, it's always just phenomenal. And you know, I, I, I did an interview on her on a different platform and she's just a wonderful person to talk about. She has been doing these Kittleson rules for, for years and her, her residents and her fellows know about them. They have written books about them and they share among, among their colleagues. And, if you're not follow, if you're on Twitter and you don't follow Dr. Kittleson, then you're missing out. So hey, speaking- you're going to have to excuse my ignorance here, but I can't remember if we talked about this or, or not. Uh, for SGLT2 inhibitors, um, and so one of the things that's oftentimes stopped, uh, if you have a diabetic patient, for example, who's being admitted for heart failure, don't stop the SG, SGLT2 inhibitor. That can actually help to potentiate the diuretic effect of the loop diuretic that they're on. But you need, do need to watch their volume status, make sure they don't over-diuresis. Completely agree. There's also some like evidence about using diet, SGLT2 right? inhibitors for heart failure patients, but that's a separate issue entirely. Speaking of Twitter phenoms and fantastic educators, uh, newcomer to our show, another newcomer to our show, Dr. Bahuma Tatanji of Emory, where she she is a like fourth year ID fellow, but she's also has like ten degrees already, and she's got like TED talks, and uh, she's she's amazing. We talked phenomenal speaker. We talked to her about uh, urinary tract infections, and uh, one of the we talked about the first line agents: uh, nitrofurantoin, trimsulfa, phosphomycin, and. One of the big things that she said was that not all UTIs in men are have to be treated as complicated. You can still use the first-line agents in them, and uh, you don't have to do a 14-day course with like a quinolone in every man that has a UTI. So I beg of you, audience, please. <laughs> uh, we're, we're sort of moving to this thing with UTIs where if they have systemic symptoms or if they have upper tract findings, like they have uh, flank pain, then you might take it more seriously. But uh, and and treat with a bigger gun. But if they just have cystitis and, and it's a man and they're otherwise well, you can use one of these first-line agents. Paul, I see uh, vigorous head nodding. Right. I mean, you should still pause thinking what might actually be causing that. But yes, exactly. her framework for sort of separating simple cystitis, bladder and below, and complicated above the level of the bladder, I thought was just a really easy way to think about it that also had not occurred to me before. It's one of those other things that kind of made me feel stupid for the way I behave for the past decade. Right. 
And I think we have a clip, Chris. Yeah, we got one from Elena. This is producer Elena Gibson, and my favorite pearl of the year was Dr. Tatanji's approach to UTI diagnosis and reminder that enteric bacteria such as E. coli or Proteus convert nitrates to nitrites, uh, but it takes about four hours. So if you want to avoid a false negative, then try to get an early morning sample or at least take it into account if you get one later in the day. <laughs> Have a good year. I I had never heard that before, and it's like, it was amazing. I, I I love that pearl. I am six figures in debt. Someone <laughs> should have told that to me. <laughs> yes, that what the big thing there is. All these times you're like, oh, no nitrites. You know, I'm less suspicious. It's like, well, you got this in the middle of the day when the person's on like, you know, three gotten three liters of of IV fluids today. Uh, so and they've been peeing every five minutes. So that I agree. And then the other thing was that. Luke esterase is a sign that there's white blood cells in the urine. When you do the microscopy portion and you're you're seeing pyuria, like greater than 10 white cells per high-powered field, that's considered pyuria. Luke esterase is a Luke esterase tells you you're probably going to find pyuria. And the absence of pyuria is helpful, but the presence of pyuria does not really mean you have a UTI on your hands. Right. Yeah. And speaking about UTIs and getting fluids, I think Paul wants to talk about four buckets for episode 221, interstitial lung disease. Smashing transitions. To I it. know. Smashing transitions. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I was thinking about that one. All right. okay. Good. Go ahead, I, Paul. I, this feels almost like a professional show. I am staggered. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I this is episode 221 with the great Dr. Noreski, um, who... I clarified a topic that I have found and continue to find uh, somewhat baffling, but she made it much less baffling. I think in terms of all the classification schema and all the, the diagnoses associated with interstitial lung disease, I just didn't have a great way to approach how to think about it. And she and Dr. Noreski talks about these four buckets that can potentially um, be associated with interstitial lung disease, whether it's connective tissue-related disease, sarcoidosis, hypersensitivity, or the idiopathic. And then she, those are the four big buckets that she thinks about. And then the other thing that she talked about that I really enjoyed is in terms of how important the history is, which speaks to my heart. So she really, I think, gave some great tips about going through specific exposures. Uh, pulmonologists, as we've talked about before, have a particular hatred of down pillows and ducks. Um, so it's it's worth asking about <laughs> your patients too. Right, yeah, just birds in general, they hate and are excited <laughs> about it at the same time. Um, but she made the point that oftentimes your PFTs have not caught up to the patient's underlying disease, and they may have symptoms before the PFTs even manifested, or even before um, you find necessarily physical examination findings like the classic uh, inspiratory crackles and that kind of stuff. So um, be be, dil- be diligent. I had a hard time saying diligent for some reason, and have sort of a, a low index of suspicion for your patients that you're thinking about it for. You know, Paul, I love that you use the word baffling because were you too baffled by NAFLA? Because that's episode 227 <laughs> oh, and man. you have a pearl on that one as well. I don't understand what's happening here. I don't like it. <laughs> Stuart's paying attention and he's moving the show along, Paul. What is I, happening? Wow. <laughs> I am actually dying in my chair. DMT is being released by my brain and eventually a fox is going to lead me into the afterlife. But... No, you're exactly right. So another another pearl I loved, this is... I like how you put maffled in the script, though. <laughs> All right. So talking to the amazing Dr. Matherly about uh, the metabolic-associated fatty liver disease, otherwise known as uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but he, he there's a newer framework and a newer discussion about how to talk about it. He made a couple of great points. Um, two of the pearls I particularly loved is 
Everyone gets a little bit squirrely starting statins or continuing statins in patients with underlying liver disease. But he made the point that, you know, for most patients, unless you have, I think it's what, three times the upper limit of normal for yeah. the for the transaminases, you, you should be perfectly comfortable, especially with um, MAFLD, because the there's a significant amount of cardiovascular mortality associated with that because that tends to ride along with the metabolic syndrome type picture. These patients are at risk for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So do not fear statins to these patients. In fact, you know, um, statins away. And then the other point that he made that I, I also really enjoyed is that don't be fooled by normal transaminases because there are different reference ranges per different labs, but even sort of minimally elevated ALT specifically can be indicative of underlying liver pathology and should raise your antenna to think about fatty liver disease. So I think he gave a specific number of greater than 25 in females or, or 33 in males. So anything above that is abnormal and should prompt a little bit more consideration. So I thought two really practical tips that are broadly applicable to my patients. Yeah, fantastic. Please don't don't stop statins. I think he even gave the three times. He he gave range. He said like above one fifty or two hundred. That's where he starts to think, think. about uh, yeah. stopping stopping a medicine that might be be uh, hepatotoxic. Um, it's statin that makes sense. <laughs> I think we actually might have skipped over one, Stuart. Do you have a fancy Did transition really? for number number uh, thirteen on our on our list here, or number two forty two? Oh, I saw all the lines and I thought, you know what? <laughs> I got lost in the weeds, kind of like being in the wilderness. So we've got Wilderness Medicine with Tom DeLore, hey. episode number 242. <laughs> so fancy. Let's, why don't we go to a producer here, Chris? Do you have yeah, a clip for us? Yeah, so sorry, I- I got no. I know. I, up is down. Left is right. Sauerkraut's delicious. None of this makes any sense, Chris. But just, just grab hold. Uh, Ride lightning, buddy. We so, can do this. Um, so you 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 stole you stole Maddie's uh, Maddie's. Uh... This is social media guru Madison Mad Dog Morgan, and my favorite pearl of the year was Dr. Tom Lowry's Wilderness in Medicine episode. And from that episode, Raul, the great Dr. Ranug. Rahul Ganatra has um, a great pick that you got to listen to. This is Rahul Ganatra, the Curbsiders Critical Appraisal Consultant. One of my favorite pearls this year was from episode 242 with Dr. Tom DeLore about preventing rabies, which I'll never forget because he told a story about getting a bat bite himself while out for a run. Apparently, if you just wash the bite wound with soap and water, that reduces the incidence of rabies by a whopping 50%. And as everybody knows, I love a good effect size, and a 50% <laughs> relative risk reduction is mighty nice. He also loves fun animal facts, which is, <laughs> which is why most of our COVID cake shows or hot cake shows have fun animal facts at the top uh, of the show. Oh, gosh. Just the absurdly charming Rahul Ganache, everybody. <laughs> also, for the audience uh, not watching the video, Stuart, again, is having knee pain, is crouching in the corner of his room in tears. It hurts! <laughs> yeah. oh, so, uh, okay, I'll give a wilderness medicine uh, very quickly. Hypothermia we talked about, and there's a cold card that we talked about where it gives you this, there's this spiral on it, and it gives you the various stages of severity of hypothermia. And if someone's... If if someone is just mildly hypothermic, uh, that's that's not the biggest deal. Try to warm them up. Try to get them moving. If somebody's hypothermic to the point where they have like altered consciousness, and they're then you want to keep them on the ground because you want to keep the blood in their core. If you actually stand them up 
actually that core blood, which is, which is warm because it's at the core, will circulate to the cold extremities. It'll get cold, circulate back to the core, and they'll start <laughs> to spiral. That was terrifying to me because uh, I, I had never heard that before. So uh, definitely check out that section of this. Check out the cold card. And uh, I thought the other thing that he said is giving people calories to help them shiver because they need a lot of calories to help them shiver to warm themselves up is also important. So like that's one time you can give them like soda and candy and that part sounds kind of fun. <laughs> I think like he wouldn't, I couldn't get him to engage with this, but I think there's a recommendation against crawling in the sleeping bag with them and you refuse to either refute or deny that because it, it gets in the way of the patient shivering. But anyway. Hey, hey, Paul, are you, are you balding? Are you losing hair? That's feels like less of a transition to more of a personal attack, Stuart. <laughs> oh man, that's rough. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, Stuart, but I am. So can you please, uh, what, are, what are you oh, getting at? That's wonderful because there were some great pearls that Paul want to talk about on the Skindrenship episode, the Scalp and Face episode number 232. Paul, you're balding. All right. Well, that was great while well lasted, Stuart. Glad, glad to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great episode indeed. Um, I, I think the thing that I took away from episode 232 that was probably most helpful was an approach to the patient with hair loss. I feel like it's something I never had a framework for. I would kind of throw a TSH at them and hope it revealed something and then wouldn't, and then I'd feel bad about myself and eventually refer them to dermatology. But uh, in terms of actually having a differential now to think about and thinking about scarring versus non-scarring alopecia, scarring being a little bit more time-sensitive, I think um, our guest made the point that follicles are, time is follicles, so get these people mm -hmm. to dermatologists quickly if you think they're scarring alopecia, and then in terms of the non-scarring, um, differentiating between alopecia areata, where you, it's autoimmune and you sort of lose patches of hair, versus the very common androgenic alopecia, for which we all live in fear, where you have widening of the central part um, and these very shiny bald spots because of increased sebum production, versus the telogen effluvium, where there's some sort of antecedent stressful event. So in the year of COVID, we're all just losing um, hair left and right, or maybe that's just me projecting. That's yeah. the one the patient um, brings in the bag of hair. Yeah, yes. exactly right. And so to have some way to think about these things and then uh, different ways to actually address the problems once you have a diagnosis, um, I found extraordinarily helpful because I was just kind of at sea before. Yeah. Okay. And uh, as thank you for those pearls, Paul. And as we fade into the outro, some more pearls, favorite pearls from our Twitter, our Twitter, what am I saying here? <laughs> Try it again, Matt. Try it again. And Twitter. as we fade into the outro, Beth Garbs Garbatelli from Twitter fame will give us her favorite pearls from this year. That was slick. Hi, this is Beth Garbs Garbatelli. I'm a producer and correspondent for the Curbsiders, and I also manage the Twitter account. In trying to think about my favorite episodes from this year, um, there was just so many good ones that it was hard for me to pick, as usual. But um, two that really stood out to me um, were Fatigue for Primary Care and Homeless Health Care. Um, the fatigue episode felt for me to be like such a helpful overview of a topic that when it comes up in a primary care clinic visit can be really daunting um, and I think sometimes can get really um, oversimplified to sort of just focusing on things like depression um, and anxiety causing fatigue. Um, but I felt it gave a really helpful sort of uh, schema for working through the differential for fatigue and really practical tips for managing lab workup um, and how to counsel patients when we don't have a good answer. So I thought it was a really, really helpful episode that I've thought about a lot um, during my third year for my clinic visits. Um, 
And I also really enjoyed the homeless health care episode, um, in addition to sort of shedding a light on a really important topic um, and sort of emphasizing how much of an impact homelessness can have on a person's health. Um, there were some tips that really stuck with me, like the examination of a person's feet, um, which may not always come to your mind when somebody's coming into an emergency department visit for, you know, something else, but um, also the idea of sort of, you know, keeping in mind what their capacity is for um, certain types of medication um, regimens and things like that that may require them to go to the bathroom or have regular lab checks. Just there was some, it was a good mix of really practical tips for, you know, improving your care for a person experiencing homelessness as well as uh, giving folks an overview of the topic of homelessness and its impacts. Um, so in short, um, this has been a great year with the Curbsiders. Uh, as, as always, I'm very proud and feel very honored to be able to work on the show with a, with a really amazing, outstanding team of producers. And um, I hope everybody is staying safe and has a really happy and healthy holiday season. And uh, cheers to 2021. Thanks, Curbs. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Yummy. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. That's right, Paul, because we're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do that, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or contact Matt directly. He's waiting for it at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. A special thanks to all of our producers and team members for the Curbsiders. It's an exhaustive list, but... It includes, but not limited to, our social media team, Beth Garb Scarpatelli on Twitter, Maddie Mad Dog Morgan on Instagram, Tima Karganov on our website, and Chris the Chu Man Chu, who's actually right here, but also on Facebook. Until next time, I've been Stuart Kent Brigham. And uh, thanks to Chris for putting together this. This is Chris's fourth recap episode. Uh, he's been he's been working with us for over I don't know, Chris, how many years now? Going on four years? Four, like, three and three and a half, and a half years. Like, yeah. And uh, so this this has been great every year. Thank you, Chris. Um, I also wanted to thank Stuart Brigham for composing our theme music and to Claire Morgan of Notterly for editing our audio and sometimes our videos like this one. Godspeed, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto. Hello, this is Emmy Okamoto, and I'm sending you some warmth and sunshine from Cambodia. I want to extend a huge thank you to all the, the workers, particularly the frontline workers, showing incredible courage and selflessness to get out there every day through the challenges. So thank you. I hope through this past year, we've all had some time and space to find some inner peace through the struggle and I'm very much looking forward to a better 2021 wishing you a safe and very happy holidays this is Dr. Cyrus Askin happy holidays hey this is Edison Chang this has been Beth Garb Garbatelli signing out and this has been Deb I don't have an actual sign off yet Gore (laughs) this has been physician assistant correspondent Isabel Valdez this is Justin Lee Burke This has been Maddie, the Mad Dog, Morgan. For the Curbsiders, I've been Dr. Rahul Ganatra. This has been Hannah R. Abrams. I've been 
Kate Elizabeth Grant. And this has been Leah Witt. And this has been Dr. Shreya Chirpetti. Happy holidays. This has been Dr. Molly Hoyblein. Hi, this has been Sarah Phoebe Roberts, and I'm wishing you all happy holidays. And this has been Chris the Chew Man Chew. And as always, I remain Dr. Paul Nelson-Williams. Happy holidays. Thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye, Paul. <laughs>